If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it. And turn with me to uh, James chapter 3. That's where we are. This morning we're in James chapter 3, picking it up where Andrew left off uh, last week. If you weren't here, I would, I'd encourage you. Um, I really would. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon, uh, because, because what James is doing, uh, not just because it was a great sermon, and it was, but um, because what James is doing here is he's building. Um, he's building along in a process, and what we're doing is we're just trying to track along with him and his word. He's, he's, he's walking us really sort of systematically, and I think you grow to appreciate this the more you revisit a, a book like, about, like this letter. Um, He's really sort of systematically through what looks like, he's, he's, looking, he's telling us what it looks like to live, right? To, to live, to really live our lives uh, out in the new creation identity that we're given in Christ. It's that, it's that, what, we, it's that what we do really does flow out of, of who we are. And so while we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we can agree with the reformers that, that it's a faith that never that the faith that, sa- that saves is never alone, right? And so let's do this. Let's stand together and look to God and His Word to us uh, this morning. This is James chapter 3. We're going to start there in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am, I am in need of your word today, just like I am every other day. We are in need of your word today, just like we are every other day. And as has already been said, your word does not return void. It doesn't return empty, but it accomplishes the work for which you have set it forth. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would be known this morning. I pray that we would hear from you this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Awaken our souls to receive it from you this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever had this sort of experience. If you have kids, it's, it's, you, you, it's going to happen eventually. Or, and, and honestly, it's going to happen if you like hang around people at all. All right. But there's going to be this point where you're in a group, or maybe just like with one other person, and someone is going to say something. There's going to be this like bold statement that's thrown out into the room, something strong, right? Something, something absolute, like an absolute statement. Uh, something like this, something, some, something like, um, like, I don't know, like, like 
something like the Beatles are the greatest band of all time, right? Or, or Heinz ketchup is the only real ketchup. Or, and this is a, this is a favorite one, like, or, like, or like LeBron is better than Kobe, right? Like those types of things that kind of just get thrown out into the room. And, and look, we could go through this all day. I mean, people make absolute statements all the time. And as soon as we make that statement, what happens is, is that the whole conversation, just in an instant, it, it changes. Like that, that one little statement just totally transforms everything that's going to come after because now we have to deal with it. Like we have to deal with the reality. There is this elephant in the room. We probably don't agree with it entirely, although seriously, Heinz ketchup is, is pretty much the best, but whatever. Like, like, you, like, I mean, if you do the Hunts thing, that's fine, but people are going to judge you. So I, I want you to know that so you can deal with that on the front end. Um, but we have to sort of sort it out a little bit. And what it necessarily leads us to is, is this sort of pathway, right? Running, running backwards. Now we've gotten, because we've gotten the end game out there. Now we have to run backwards and see how we got there. Sort of not really deconstructing so much as just working our way back to the root of this thing that's been thrown out there. And that's really what James is doing here in chapter three. He's made this big absolute statement. Here's what he did. He said, right, he said uh, that faith apart from works is dead. That's what he said. He said, and listen, that's a big one, right? We should recognize that. And he said it twice in chapter two. He doubled down on that thing. He said, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then he said, this was 226, so right at the end of chapter two, that faith apart from works is dead. He's going, listen, it's not just what we say, and it's not just what we claim. It's, 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 not, it's not even just what we know or believe. That's sort of this easy believism that we talk about from time to time. That's, that's, a, that's a faith that's cheap. That's a faith that's easy, right? That's sort of knockoff faith. That's Sunday morning faith. It's a faith that doesn't demand anything of us. That, that, here's what I would say. That is renovation faith rather than recreation faith. But what the Bible is telling us here is that it's our lives, right? Our lives lived out in real space and in real time, walking this journey of life is walking in the way of Jesus that justifies our claim to faith. And so whether you're cut from the cloth of Abraham or cut from the cloth of Rahab, whatever your starting point, right, patriarch or prostitute and everything between them, it's a life of faith expressed in faithfulness that justifies the faith that we claim. And what God wants us to know, what God wants us to know is that, is that accepting anything less than this is not just a lapse but it's foolish. And so really sort of naturally, and, and this is again what, what we saw last week in verses 1 through 12, right? He, he, he began with our manner of speech. That's where he goes, something as basic as just the words that we say and the way that we say them. And the whole sense there is, is that we're so prone to, we're also so prone to this sort of easy claim of faith with our mouths, and yet, and yet we can't even control our mouths. And so we should be careful trusting our own confession if it's not justified by works. And now here in 13, he's pushing forward a little further down the road, just digging down 
to this root and really challenging our natural tendency. And what we're going to see is that in the economy of God, right, in the, uh, in, in, in the reality of life and faith, there are two types of wisdom. There's a wisdom of the earth <laughs> and there's a wisdom of God. There's a wisdom in alignment with the world and there's a wisdom in alignment with the Lord. And only one of those is truly for your good, right? Only one of those is truly wise. And so let's look back at verse 13 here together. We're going to set the table just a little bit. Here's what we read. He, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Remember that, that this letter uh, is written to believers, right? It's, it's not just to Jewish Christians, but to all those who have been engrafted into Christ by faith. To the, it's, it's written to the members of his body, to those he calls the 12 tribes and the dispersion, to those what Peter calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. And so there's this sense that it's written to a people who are in unity together, and yet they have been, they've been separated out. They've been scattered. They've been dispersed and spread out. And so he writes, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And listen, wisdom isn't a new topic for James. It's not like he's just introing a new topic at this point. That's not what's happening. Back in chapter one, he told us if any of you lacks wisdom, which is kind of sounds insulting, honestly, like doesn't it? Basically, if any of y'all are stupid, which doesn't seem like a great way to start a letter, but that's kind of what he does. If, If any of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So the good news for you is you can ask God if you are stupid and he won't judge you for that. He won't be like, yeah, stupid, here's your gift. I know I'm saying stupid a lot. I apologize to the parents in the room. Um, that's a word we're not supposed to say at our house and yet I'm just throwing it out left and right here. Anyway, uh, if you are unwise, all right, if you can ask God and he will give you wisdom and he won't judge you in that, like he wants to do that. So this isn't new. Wisdom is this quality, right, of being wise. It's the evidence of being wise, of having understanding and discernment and being able to judge properly what's right and wrong. That's what wisdom is. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what it says. And then Proverbs 9.10 echoes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it's this beautiful picture that we're being given here. That God doesn't want his children. Remember, this is how God identifies himself as father. We didn't pick that out from him. He gave that to us. It's this idea that God as father doesn't want his children to be confused. He doesn't want his kids to go out into the world as fools. But the problem here is that sin creates, what sin does, it creates this spiritual blindness. And that's not... That's not a sort of mystical blindness, all right? Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's intangible, right? Because, because it's a blindness that causes us to walk in a certain way. Because, because what sin does, all right, here's, is, sin, is sin takes us away from the Lord. It creates this very real separation, okay? The fall is not just a cosmic fracture. It's cosmic treason, right? It's cosmic rebellion, And so we could say this, you need to remember that we could say this, sin is always relational. Every sin is relational. That's why we talk about redemption and reconciliation. We're redeemed through Christ's atoning death, what, 
for us. That's relational, right? It wasn't just, he didn't just die haphazardly. He didn't just die because the Romans were mad. He didn't just die because the Jews didn't like him. He died for us on the cross. That's the heart of the gospel, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that redeeming love of Christ for us also reconciles us to our creator. And like the good father that he is, he has this desire for us to have a confident faith, for us to have a true faith, a, a ruthless trust in him. Like, like, a, like, a, like you kind of envision this, like, like the father in the pool with his little child just reaching his arms out to us saying, you can trust me. And the kid's going, I don't know if I can trust you, but we, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe him. And, and trust is necessarily demonstrated in relationship. There's no other way to demonstrate trust. Faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not found in a textbook. I like the way Brennan Manning has said it. He said, if we could free ourselves from the temptation, you kind of think through this, if we could free ourselves from the temptation to make faith a mindless Ascent to a dusty pawn shop of doctrinal beliefs, we would discover with alarm that the essence of biblical faith is trusting God. It's that simple. He calls trust the winsome wedding of faith and hope. That's why the 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, right? It's almost Reformation Day. We don't talk about Halloween around here, right? It's Reformation Day. That's what's coming up. Everybody's going to dress up like a monk and go get candy. We know. We know. It's, it's what's going to happen if you're like, nah, dude, I'm being Darth Vader. I get it, okay? But also maybe shave your head real weird and, and, and go out and... Anyway, I'm just putting it out there as an idea. I think it's worth considering. Just a whole... No, please don't. It'll look like a cult. Don't do that. Anyway, <laughs> here's what he said. He said, idle faith is justifying faith. Sorry, I just said it the opposite of what it is. Idle faith is not justifying faith. You're like, man, I was on a roll there for a second. This is the wisdom of God for us today. And so James says this, by his good conduct, let, meaning letting the wise and understanding among you, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So not just in word, but in deed. And then he breaks it down for us. He starts with what the he starts with the opposite. He breaks this down and he says, this is the wisdom of the world. So here's the two things. So here's the wisdom of the world. It starts right there in verse 14. Here's what we read. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is the wisdom of the world. It's the wisdom that our first parents embraced in the in the garden in Genesis 3. It's a wisdom that's rooted in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So it always begins with self. It sees our perspective. The wisdom of the world sees our perspective. It sees my perspective as ultimate. It sees our view or my view as apex, and it sees our outlook or, or, or maybe just my outlook as the pinnacle of understanding. David Platt says that, that worldly wisdom views life from a limited perspective. It doesn't see things in light of eternity, but in terms of perceived immediate impact. What is best for self-advancement and self-pleasure now. You see, it puts us, here's what worldly wisdom does, is it puts us 
at the center. It puts self, it puts me as the focal point of my life. It's a, it's a narcissistic wisdom where everyone exists ultimately to meet my ends, to meet my priorities. And listen, the Bible isn't against you having goals. It's not against you having priorities. The Bible's not against you having aspiration. We were designed with longing as part of our nature. Like we were created for relationship with God. That by nature requires desire. It requires a longing. But the wisdom of the world has a way of of measuring the realities of the world through the filter of how they impact you. That's what the wisdom of the world teaches you. It's that how something or someone affects us is its standard of goodness. That's one of the things that we want to fight against as a church today. Like we don't want to be, we don't want to be, I want to say this. Like obviously I want to say this. I'm standing up here saying it. I, I want you to hear this. As a church, we do not want to be a gathering of constituents rallying around a cause right? We don't want to be a group of people fighting just a fight. We want a community that's committed to a king and a kingdom. Those are the two things. If you were to ask me, what do the elders of this church want it to be? A community of people fiercely loyal to one another, fighting for, believing in, chasing after a community that's committed to a king and a kingdom. And it's necessarily both and. We don't want to be anything less than that. That's why Jesus, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the first, or sorry, great and first commandment. And then he said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend what? All the law, and the prophecies. He's going, that's the whole word of God right there summed up for you in one beautiful sentence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's a king, yes, but it's also a kingdom. It's a love for God, and it's a love for neighbor. It's a love for the king, and it's a love for his, for his people. And love as we understand it from a biblical view. This is not, this is not love and that sort of like, Disney Channel, Hallmark version of love that's being, that's being sold to us so often, right? But real love. I had the privilege of doing a, a wedding last week, and I feel like I owe the kids an apology for not telling them in advance that I was going to be out of town last week uh, participating in a wedding. It was a wedding for my little sister. It was a sweet, sweet time. Um, and I, 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 as I was sitting there have you ever had this situation where like you're, you're in front of a group of people or, or, or whatever, you're with a group of people and you're talking and yet you're having another conversation happening? I, don't, I hope that's not just me. Um, but as I was standing in front of this uh, gathering, this congregation uh, for the wedding, I was, I was talking about love. I mean, we talk about this and I, I don't just straight up quote 1 Corinthians 13 because everybody tunes you out. And so we just, whatever, we just kind of roll into it. But this is real love. And, I, and as I was doing this, I thought of you. Like, I thought of the people here. I was kind of sad I wasn't here last week. I, it, it was like we weren't, our whole family agreed. We were on the way home. We're like, man, it's just not, it's not right. <laughs> it doesn't feel right to be away. But this is a real love, a patient love, right? A kind love, 
A love that doesn't envy or boast. A love that's not arrogant or rude. A love that doesn't insist on its own way. That's not irritable or resentful. Love that doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. That, that type of love, what, this is what the Bible calls perfect love. What it says in 1 John 1.4 is that that love doesn't walk in fear, but it actually casts out fear. And so here's the truth. Selfish ambition is just fear expressed in action. It's fear rooted in the thought that I don't have enough, that I can't get enough, that I am not enough. Selfish ambition is the biblical view of our classic fear of missing out. Look back at verse 16 again. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Listen, I'm not a haunted house guy. I know it's, that's not a shock to any of y'all who know me. I, I hate them, man. Um, I am not. If you invite me into a haunted house, you just need to know I might get to the door, but I am not going in with you, all right? You will, be, you will turn to go. You'll be scared, and I won't be there. Um, I don't like anything scary, and so you're definitely not getting me into a haunted house. And one of the reasons, here's one of the reasons I won't go into them. It's because they're designed to create chaos. Like, I've been in a haunted house, sorry, see, and I've learned, in an elementary school cafeteria. And they tried to convince me that I was in the pit of hell with some chainsaw-wielding dude chasing me around. And I, for a minute, was like, I think I am. <laughs> this is the worst-case scenario right here. I, have, there's no, I don't know the survival techniques for this environment. It was the worst. I don't like it at all. They're designed to create chaos, to convince you that what you see is real, to convince you that you're in danger, that there is a reason to be afraid, and, and I hate it. It's, it's the chaos, because what chaos brings is fear. That's what chaos brings, what disorder brings. And James is hitting on that right here. You go disorder, confusion, disarray. They always bring fear. Do you know that our world is one of the most fear-filled places because of that right there? Because the enemy loves to create chaos, loves to convince you that there's a danger when there's not. And notice how damaging these things are. Listen, jealousy, jealousy is not a victimless sin. It's not a safe sin because like all sin, it's deeply relational. Not only does jealousy hurt you, it also hurts the people around you. It stirs up chaos in our relationships. It spawns contempt in our communities. It's, it's what we see so often in the news. It's what's so, it is the heartbeat of social media today. It's the predominant position of the world. And it certainly finds itself, let's be careful here that we don't just point the finger. It also finds itself here in the church easily. Listen, pride doesn't respect the sign on the door. It doesn't care what you say you're about. Pride doesn't care about your mission statement. It doesn't care about your vision statement. It doesn't care about how clean your leaders look. It doesn't, pride doesn't care. It will creep its way into any place possible. And it absolutely, here's what pride hates. You know what pride hates more than anything? Pride hates the cross. The cross is the antithesis of pride. And so in keeping with James and the wisdom of God, we would agree that it's not meant to be this way. And it's certainly not meant to be that way in the church. And so when these things are present, the Lord seems far away. And so James shows us a better way. Look at 17. Look at 17. Look at the contrast that he paints. He says, but the wisdom from above, so we've seen the wisdom of, 
of the world. Now we've got the wisdom of the earth. Now we've got the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the wisdom from above. No longer rooted in pride, no longer rooted in selfishness, no longer self-seeking, no longer self-serving, or even self-interested, no longer rooted in fear. Wisdom from above is rooted where? It's rooted in love. And love casts out fear. And he paints this portrait for us. He doesn't just say, here's what I love about James. He doesn't go, be wise. Just be smarter. Just understand. Like, he doesn't do that. He's not that. He's not, that's not how he's... It's not he's wired because he's writing the word of God, right? He's writing the very word of God. And God doesn't just do that. He just go be wise. Try that with your kid. Like your eight-year-old. I don't understand. Be, just be wise. When you get the homework grade, the teacher's like, what are y'all doing at home? I just told him to be wise. What's the problem? That doesn't work. He doesn't tell us to read more. He doesn't go, some of y'all need to get out. He's like, you need to call your travel agent and get out and roam with a gnome or whatever that thing is, like travelocity. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Go do that. Do do that thing. That probably just aged myself a little bit right there. I was like, why would you? Anyway, what's a gnome got to do with any of this? And then say to study more. He didn't tell you to experience more. Now, the primary ways that we see the wisdom of God is through the relationships that we have with other people. And primarily... <laughs> the relationships we have with other people of God. And it's remarkable to see how closely, I don't know if you noticed this at all, but this struck me this week, it's remarkable how closely these characterizations of wisdom reflect the message of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. You see, this wisdom is pure, right? This wisdom is pure. Remember Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, right? For they shall see God. He says, this wisdom is peaceable. And in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this, this isn't just a coincidence, right? This cannot be a coincidence. I mean, we've got two of them. Maybe it's a co- coincidence, but maybe not, right? Next, James says, this wisdom is gentle. And in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James says, this wisdom is from above, that this wisdom from above is open to reason. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, remembering that, that they realize we're not, that we're not, that we are meant to know that we don't know everything. Too often we walk in that sort of pride that says our minds are fixed and it's your responsibility to get on board with us. We see it in the government and unfortunately we see it in the church. He says, this wisdom is full of mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He says, this wisdom is full of good fruit. See, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or they shall be satisfied. There, there's just no getting around the fact that salvation in Christ, that redemption in Christ, not only brings a change in our relationships with God, but that it does, in fact, transform our relationships with one another. It made me think of this legend from the life of Alexander the Great, uh, where a young Macedonian, you've maybe heard this story, but a young Macedonian soldier is brought before him because he had... He had, he had defected, man. He was charged with the crime of leaving the field of battle in the face of an enemy. And, and it was this, and like cowardice, right, is the one thing that the king could not tolerate. But there was something about this young man that captivated Alexander the Great. And the legend says that he asked him, son, what is your name? And the young man snapped to attention. Like, I mean, he probably thought he was just about to die. But he, anyway, he's like, man, he's talking to me. The king's talking to me. This is like the king, right? Alexander the Great. 
And so the guy shot to attention and said, Alexander, sir. And the king was furious, right? And he shouted at him. He like shouted, what is your name? And, and the young man got scared and began to like stumble and stammer. He could barely, barely get the words out of his mouth. And he said it again. He just said it just like that. Alexander, sir, you can kind of see him terrified. And the king burst out of his seat. So if you can imagine, Alexander the Great jumps out of his seat, comes down, grabs this guy by the tunic, like pulls him right in front of his face. And he just shouts at him, soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. I'm not suggesting for a second that Jesus is grabbing you by the collar of your shirt right now. And I'm not suggesting that he is screaming at us in anger. And he's not motivated by a sense of pride that you aren't living up to his expectations. That's just not his nature. That's not his character. But I am suggesting that what we're meant to understand is that in these verses, our Savior is calling out to us in love. He's calling out to us in affection and longing for us to live as becomes followers of Christ. It's that we would live in accordance with our new name, that we would live in accordance with our new identity in Him. And here's the thing, that language that comes right out of our membership vows. And I know you all have those memorized, probably got them on your uh, you know, mirror so you can reflect on those every morning, those, those declarations and promises that we all take. If you're wondering, there's five of them, all right? So now you know to go look. You can like look it up. What are the PCA vows I took when I joined this church? Um, but that's what we declare and we promise, that in humble reliance, you might recognize it now, that in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Because that's who we are. And who we are in Christ is, is, who we are in Christ is the most important thing about us. It's more important than our family name. It's more important than where we graduate from or, or what Greek letters we're associated with in college or what ministry we work with. It's, it's more important than even the church we attend. Ultimately, what matters most on the last day is not any of those temporal things, and all of those are temporary, but the one true and eternal thing. And so it's not so much even who we are. What matters most is whose we are. And carrying the name of Christ carries with it some responsibility. You see, just like the sin is always relational, so is salvation. And that goes back to verse 13. Right back to the beginning here. It goes back to verse 13 where we hear this charge to every one of us who profess faith in Christ. We cannot miss this. If we miss this today, we will have failed. It's a charge to all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our eternal life recognizing our need for a Savior because of our sin and our complete inability to save ourselves, right? Trusting in Jesus. Here's what it says. <clears throat> By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That is not a suggestion. That is a charge. Let him show by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Listen, if you don't think that God cares about what you do on an ordinary day, I want you to hear that one more time. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Paul uses that same word for conduct over in Galatians 1. But in Galatians 1, we, use that, we, we see that same word in the original language, but we translate that word as life. 
life. So your conduct, what you do, is a demonstration of your life. It's an outward demonstration of that inward transformation. It changes how we think. It changes how we speak. It changes how we treat those around us. In 1 Peter 2.12, he says this, and I love, if you know, if you've ever spent time with me, 1 Peter is just one of my favorite books in the Bible. He says this, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, or keep your life, right, honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers. That's what he's talking about. Keep your conduct amongst those who don't know the Lord honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will do that, they will do it. You live, in, you live on planet Earth. That's going to happen. All right? When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's saying, let the testimony of your life be stronger than the accusations of the world. Listen, it's only in the upside-down economy of grace. It's only in the upside-down economy of the gospel where the last will be first and the first last that this makes any sense at all. It's only in the new creation life of faith in Christ that any of this makes sense. We, we need to pray. Can I give you a we need to? We need to pray each day that we would know the wisdom from above. That our lives would be an imitation of and reflection of the love of Christ shown to us at the cross. Where even, where what? Where even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's only in the economy of grace that we can understand the wisdom of God. And it's only as we walk with Christ, walk in the way of Jesus, in the humility of grace, in the humility, in the meekness of wisdom, that our testimony can be seen and can be known. Let, let that be true in us today. Right? Like, let us be an upside-down people, carrying an upside-down message to an unbelieving world. And may Jesus be glorified in our lives. May Jesus be glorified in this place. Let him have the last word. And let it be true. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you your goodness and mercy to us. Thank you that you have shown your great love for us and power, that you have given us your Son in our place, taking my sin, taking our sin upon yourself, bearing the full weight of that at the cross. Lord, let us walk in light of that. Like Let us walk as if we believe that. Let the testimony of my life be consistent with the testimony of my mouth. Let the testimony of your church be consistent with the testimony of our Savior. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and respond in singing with us?